Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Hub podcast. Today, I'm extremely excited to be joined by Bob Burke. Um, hello, Bob. Hello. It's so great to be with you. I have to say that I'm uh, very excited and, and, and even more excited than I usually am to, to connect with you, because partly because uh, some of the other podcast guests have already been raving about your work. So I was very Aww. excited to, to finally connect with you. So thank you very much for taking the time. Well, that's very nice of you, and I, you know, I, I know who some of your your uh, guests were, and they're some of my heroes, and I have great admiration for them. So, thank you for sharing that with me. Perhaps I just introduce you for some of the listeners who who may not know you so well. So, Bob Burke is speaker and author, and he's also a leadership thought leader, and he's written a number of books and a regular speaker. And the reason why we're talking with you today, especially about your book, The Go-Giver, is because in October, I believe, after the 500,000th copy, um, you have uh, decided uh, with your co-author to republish a, a new or an updated version. And it also includes some additional features, a Q&A, and also a foreword by Ariana Huffington. Uh, yes, uh, and that just came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we included a discussion guide with it as well. And we did that because we knew that so many companies and groups and organizations, they use the book as a sort of a, a company book club, if you will, and they have discussions out of it. So we thought with Q&A and a discussion guide in the back of it, it would make it even easier for them. So uh, as a way to celebrate, as you mentioned, the uh, crossing the 500,000 mark, we uh, we thought we would do that. So thank you for mentioning that. Well, congratulations, and it has been also translated into twenty one languages. So so it really is a, is a global phenomenon. Oh, thank you. I would like to uh, come back a little bit later to the five uh, principles, the five laws that that are in this parable. Um, but before we do that, I wa was very interested. I'm sure you must have received a lot of emails. A lot of people reached out to you um, in the journey of this book. And, and actually, you also write some of these down in the forward, the new forward to the new uh, edition of the book. But have you heard from people who have applied these principles and then they really turned 
their business around, turn their life around? And what, what are maybe what is one of or several of your favorite stories of this kind? You know, we, we hear this quite a bit, and we always take it as a, a great compliment, though we know it's the person itself. You know, the book may have helped in terms of providing an idea or two, but it's the person themselves who took action to make it happen. And when the book first came out, the early adopters of the book, if you will, were the people who were already very successfully doing these things. You know, mm. n none of the principles in the book, none of the five laws is anything that John and I uh, made up or invented. They've all been around since the beginning and successful people have always been following them, whether intuitively or, 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 you know, consciously, but they've, mm. they've, they follow them. So, uh, the initial feedback was from people who were leaders of organizations and saying, Oh, well, this is what I've been teaching people, or this is what I've done. And, and people don't believe, you know, that you can really do business that way and that it will be successful. And then the, the sort of the second wave of people who got the book were the ones who were maybe given the book or told about the book by successful people they knew. Mm -hmm. And so then we get uh, emails by people. So one of my favorites was from someone, and this was during the economic downturn uh, that we had where this person said, you know, he, like most people in the market, he began to pull back and try to offer the least value for what he took in, you know, yeah. thinking he had to do it that way. And he realized, no, he was focusing so much on himself. He wasn't only not helping his business, he was hurting it further. So he did a total shift in focus and just looked at and would continually ask himself, how can I find ways to add more value to the customer experience, which doesn't mean it has to cost money. There's many ways we can we can provide value in terms of of excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, appreciation. And when he did that, now all of a sudden his business was stronger than ever. And and these are the kind of letters that we just love, love to receive. Great. And you now just mentioned the economic uh, and financial crisis. And in your long experience, do you find that this has woken up uh, corporate America, woken up, um, you know, business people that the, uh, to, to take the leap into a shift from this scarcity model to a more abundance model and to wake up and shake off what we have been, you know, been socialized in this Wall Street kind of dog eat dog world to something that is much more caring, much more um, human. Uh, and, and that's why perhaps your book is also experiencing and, and a lot of these uh, thoughts are experiencing kind of a second wave or, or a new birth. Yeah, well, I think there were and there have always been many people who who did lead in the correct way. You know, you, you sort of you heard mm -hmm. about the ones that really did the wrong things. Uh, and while I don't think those are as prevalent as the ones who who are decent people and did things, you know, either in a, a um, benign way or, or a benevolent way, you of course hear about the ones who just really did things in a way that was not only not productive, it was very counterproductive for, for everyone involved. And in the end, uh, by and large, including themselves. And so I think people are paying a lot more attention. I think people want to believe that you can do things the right way and you can profit greatly. Now, the interesting thing is mm. in, a, in a, a truly free market where 
where the legitimate function of government is to protect the citizenry from force or fraud. But other than that, simply really uh, just let people buy, sell, and trade freely with one another and letting entrepreneurs create. And that tends to be the, um, the context where the only way you can succeed is by focusing on providing value to your customers. What happened and what, mm. what, uh, what happened with a lot of this, the economic crisis is it wasn't so much that it was free market. It really wasn't. What it was was that there was a lot of collusion between government and what we would call Wall Street, you know, government and big business, mm. where, where the politicians were basically bought and paid for and they, they provided special rules and regulations that allowed some of these major, major Wall Street companies to do bad things, okay? But by and large, most yeah. people, most of us as, as, as business people, we don't have that. We, the only way people are going to do business with us is because they know we're focused on providing exceptional value to them. And that's the way it works mm -hmm. best for everyone. That's actually the way it works best in society. So, uh, you know, in a, free, a truly free market, the customer is boss. And, and when leaders yeah. understand that, remember, uh, who was it, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, said, you know, the customer is the boss. They're the one, the only ones with the power to fire each and every one of us whenever they want, simply by taking their business elsewhere. And I think more and more people yeah. not only are understanding that, but they understand that's the right way to do business and it's the most profitable way. Absolutely. So coming to the five laws or, or the five principles, which are perhaps seem somewhat counterintuitive, mm. would you mind taking us through those five? Oh, and then we can maybe come into more detail on, on one or the other. Sure. Well, the, the, the five laws themselves are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. The uh, law of value says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value then you take in payment. Now, as you said, it's, a, it's counterintuitive. So when you first say that, it sounds like you're not making a profit, right? You're giving more in value than you take in payment, but that's not really mm. what it is. There's a, a, a big difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It simply is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of something, of a thing, to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, that is, uh, uh, it, that is worth so much to this, this uh, customer that they will gladly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic, be very happy that they did while you make a very healthy profit. In the, in the story, of course, we talked about uh, Ernesto Iafrate, his, uh, his Italian cafe, which was a, a, a high-end restaurant in a very swanky part of the city. And when you, when you ate there, you were probably gonna pay a lot of money. Uh, you know, but when you, but the experience you received from it was fantastic. You know, the way you were greeted when you were walked in, uh, when you came in, how you were seated at the table, how the wait staff was just absolutely fantastic. They were attentive when they should be. Otherwise, they kind of left you alone to enjoy. The ambiance was great. The food was out of this world. As you walked out, you were 
uh, thanked by the people at the door who held the door open for you. So while you may have paid $150, $200 for the meal, you received thousands and thousands of dollars in value, in experience as a result. So you felt great about it. And, uh, and of course, the uh, the restaurant owner yeah. made a very, very healthy profit because his cost of goods sold, as well as his staff and keeping the door open, obviously costs less than what he's charging. So in any type of uh, free market inter, uh, interaction such as that, there are always two people who profit, the customer and the business owner. And that's really what the law of value is all about. It means it means everyone comes away from the transaction better off than they were before the transaction. Yes, and it's also about respecting your customer or your client because, you know, they may be taken for a ride once, but they will not come back. They will come back because they enjoyed working with you and they, you know, they had a good experience. And, and I think that there's been definitely an, an awakening of, of the consumer or the the customer's um, consciousness or awareness about their rights. And, and I guess also with social media, with people exchanging a lot more opinion, mm -hmm. this, this value, I mean, just if you think about, you know, just booking.com or, or, or all those um, crowds uh, sharing uh, of opinion, you know, this is more important than ever before, I guess. I, I think you are absolutely correct. And remember that technology has also leveled up the playing field in terms of most products and services now are are pretty equal or pretty even. And so now, you know, what what's the difference maker? Well, the difference maker is how people feel about doing yeah. business with you. And that's the key. And that and the neat thing is that's entirely up to you and it's up to the leader to create that kind of uh, culture within yeah. their organization. And part of that comes from treating your employees fantastically well and making them feel good about themselves and, and making sure that they understand that they are valued because we know that uh, you know the better they feel about themselves, the better they're going to treat your customers. Absolutely. And I'm so happy that you brought this up because this was actually one of my thoughts I wanted to discuss with you is that, you know, of course, we at the Work Life Hub, we're all looking at the workplace and the work experience of the employees. You know, we are mm -hmm. firm advocates mm -hmm. that if you have happy employees, your customers will thank you. Absolutely. Several fold. And, and I think that's so important. And I have to say that I, I made, you know, the connection with your the value principle, but also with the authenticity principle. Mm -hmm. And because we say, you know, you have to be allowed to bring your whole self to work exactly. and that we're no longer slipping on this kind of corporate costume. And I think the millennial workforce is pushing a lot on this authenticity. They're no longer, you know, they don't want to play this kind of gray suit game of, of you know, just putting on at eight o'clock in the morning, your kind of corporate identity and then taking it off again in the evening. They want to have this fluidity. They want to be themselves at work, at uh, at playtime, whenever. And, and I think that can also transpire in these in these great companies where you can feel that these people are, you know, giving their authentic self. Oh, that's very true. And uh, I, I happen to have a lot of friends that that speak to uh, millennials and and uh, and have written on that. And one of the one of the core messages, and and I think you hit it right on the head, is that they want to have a sense of meaning in what they're doing. 
you know, it's more than just a paycheck. It, they want to they want to know they can be their true self at work, that they can make a difference, that they have a purpose for coming to work. And I think that's one of the best things ever. I, I just I think that's fantastic. And when people bring their full selves into their business and they're and they're made to feel valued, what a powerful combination that is. And so I, I, I love what all of you are doing at your company to to actually uh, you know, bring that into being because that's what companies need. Yeah. So, and then we have, um, compensation. Yeah. Well, this, this law says that your income is determined by how many people you serve as well as how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, Law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you add this kind of exceptional value to, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. If we go back to uh, Ernesto Iafrate's Italian Cafe, the restaurant we were talking about, it's not enough for him to provide exceptional value to one uh, person who comes in. <laughs> you know, that's great, it's important, but yeah. that's not enough to have a successful restaurant. You've got to be able to impact the lives of a lot of people. So regardless of what business you're in, it's not, in fact, in the story, the CEO, Nicole Martin, told Joe, the protege, that law number one, as important as it is, represents only your potential income. Law mm -hmm. number two, the number of people whose lives you're able to touch, whose lives you're able to impact, that's what equals your, your actual income. So we could say that exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation, which is why we're such a, a big believer in word of mouth or referral-based marketing. And that's so counterintuitive because, and, and that's what we also see from some of the Fortune 500 list, that some of these companies didn't set out to make money they set out to change people's lives. Absolutely. And that's and then in the process, then they understood that, okay, money can be made. So if someone is an entrepreneur and just starting up, what could be some of the things this this person, this man or woman could do to 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 enhance and, and work on this compensation factor? Well, you know, and I and by the way, I, I wanted to just touch upon what you said. Mo most of the the big, uh, uh, hugely successful business people that we hear about who are, who are very, very wealthy as a result of this business, as you said, the, the money was not their focus. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a, they, they deposited the check, certainly, and I'm sure they've enjoyed and loved the lifestyle of making a lot of money. As uh, you know, as um, uh, Ernesto or, or as Pindar, the main mentor, said to Joe in the story, asking if something will make money isn't a bad question. It's a great question. It's just a bad first question. Hmm. First, ask, will it serve? Then, yeah. if the answer is yes, now ask, will it make money? Will it serve? Will it add life? Will it? Uh, will it help people? Will it make a difference? Uh, and is there a market for it? Because you might have a great idea 
that you think would help people, but it's just not going to be something that the market wants. So that's also important. That's what they understand, that the focus needs to be on the value they're providing, and the money is simply a very natural and direct result of the value they have provided. So when you've got people who come into business, let's say, but they're not really a marketing person, they happen to have a product or service they really believe in, well, they need to learn how to market. They need to learn how to sell because that is part of it. Uh, we often know that something is beneficial before the marketplace knows it's beneficial. And we've got to be able to communicate it in such a way that people come to understand it. Remember, people are only, only going to buy from you because they believe it is more advantageous for them to do so than to not do so. Again, remember, the customer is the, the boss. So when you think of it, what is, what is selling? Well, uh, because selling has sort of sometimes a, a, a bad uh, um, a, a rap, right? And so, so, so let's redefine selling so people can approach it in a different way. I define selling as simply discovering what somebody wants, needs, or desires yeah. and helping them to get it. Yes. Now, when you look at selling that way, you understand that what you're doing is very benevolent for that person. Selling is not something right. you do to yeah. someone. It's something you do for someone. So when you're really looking to discover their needs, wants, and desires, you need to ask questions and you need to listen. Yes. <laughs> right? And so, you know, when we look at it that way, now business is a lot different. We know it's all customer focused yes and it's almost like a chicken or egg because the principles you you outline um are, are are the foundation and i love that you said said that they need to learn to sell because it's a skill and everybody yes. can learn you know so i think that there has been this reversed thinking before that i'm going to sell i'm going to make money and those were somehow the front line uh, perceived right. and I come from a business school background so you know that was just what there was you know market research and selling and 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 all of those related things and now they kind of take a back seat because you what I gather as, as a kind of a message from your book is that you know it's it's it starts with you it's not only to tools and techniques, but it really is a kind of culture shift. It's a mindset shift. And then everything else are just going to be features that you're going to work on, like the sales or, or like the communication. Exactly, exactly. And when you know, when you're, when you're able, to, because when people say, well, what is the actual uh, the premise of, of the go-giver, right? What, what is it really all about? It's very simple, very simple. It's simply that shifting one's focus from getting to giving, and when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And that doing so is not only a, a nice way to, to live life and do business, it's a very financially profitable way to do business. So once you've got this shift in focus down, once leadership of a company understands that its biggest customer is its employees and that the biggest customers of the employees is the end customer, now we've got something that's really working because it all comes down to everyone ends up focusing on pleasing the customer. And in a market-based company, again, that's the only way you're going to be able to profit. Absolutely. And in preparation of, of, of our podcast today, I was, you know, 
looking at um, your work, but also then YouTube very kindly takes you to other stuff <laughs> that you end up spending <laughs> time on. And right. but I watched this brilliant um, interview with uh, Howard Schultz, the CEO of um, Starbucks. Starbucks, and yeah. I just I didn't even know that when they experienced their really big financial problems. What mm -hmm. they've done, they've closed all of the Starbuckses and they said, okay, we're going to retrain our employees. And and he really is, I guess, one of these poster CEOs who, who speaks about love. He speaks about the human connection, about happy employees. And, and, I, th and I think that's, that's great to have such a role model. Uh, you know, I think that's that's very true. He's really someone who, who gets it. He leads with his heart. And, you know, uh, with um, Southwest Air, which is a, uh, you know, Southwest Airlines, yeah. which is a, uh, the, we all know the story about them, right? And they're, you know, they're the, uh, the only airline that has been profitable every year over the last, I think, whatever it is, 40 years, okay? This is in an, in an industry in which they all take losses, heavy losses, except this one airline. And Colleen Barrett, who was the former CEO, uh, who started out as Herb, uh, Herb Kelleher's uh, secretary and worked her way up to, uh, to CEO, um, she wrote a book called Lead with Love. And you think, what, in a big company like mm -hmm. this in corporate America or, you know, lead? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is what's so wonderful about it. And the Howard Schultzes and the and the 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 uh, Herb Kellehers and the Colleen Barretts and the so many people, so many people who who do this, who understand this. Now, remember, not everyone's leadership style is the same, and not every leader is going to be a huggy, touchy feely, yeah. lovey dovey person. But you can still lead with heart in other ways, as which is congruent with your personality. Yes, and and I think it's it's great to see these giants because it it really encourages the smaller businesses which make up i think 90 percent of all right. businesses uh -huh. that you know that there is no risk involved and, and if you do this then you're just doing the right thing exactly yeah exactly that's what's so nice about this it just happens to work out that doing the right thing also happens to be the profitable thing yeah absolutely so um we have maybe time for, for one of the um, principles, and then I encourage everybody to buy the book for Christmas for themselves or their loved ones <laughs> and, and read up on them. But, but that Thank is you. receptivity. And I think that's also so wonderfully put that you have to be open to receiving. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot like breathing out and trying to only breathe out, right? You can't do it. And that's what we, right? And, and that's what Joe, the protege, what that happened with him in the story that Pindar told him to breathe out and only breathe out. Well, he couldn't do it. And, and Pindar even said to him jokingly, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe just laughed because he said, you can't do one or the other. You've got to do both. Well, yeah. exactly. We breathe out and we breathe in. We breathe out carbon dioxide, we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out, which is giving, we breathe in, which is receiving. Now, despite the, the so many messages we get from the world that there's something wrong with prosperity or wealthy people uh, did something wrong to get, I mean, there's always those people, but again, those are far fewer than, than, than what, it, what it seems. Uh, but what we need to do is look at giving and receiving, not as two 
opposite concepts, but as simply two sides of the very same coin. And they work together in tandem. The, so it's not a matter of, well, am I a giver or a receiver? I want mm. people to know they're a giver and a receiver. It so happens, though, that it begins with the focus. Focus on the giving of value to everyone. Focus on the giving and then allow yourself to receive and prosperity is yours. Absolutely. And and also, I think that's one of the key kind of lessons from the book that it's not about, you know, do your business, um, earn a lot of money first, and then you'll give back. <laughs> but that's something that goes hand in hand from the get go. Right. You provide value first. And as a result, you, you receive the money. That's a that's a fantastic point. Thank you. Mm. So uh, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our um, podcast. Before I ask you the last question, could I just ask you, Bob, to remind the listeners of where they can reach you? Uh, sure. My website is Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. And pretty much everything is there, including uh, where you can purchase or, or get the first chapter of The Go-Giver. And then you can decide if you'd like it or not. My blog is there. You can connect with me on uh, uh, on uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere. So Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. Great. So the last question is, we always ask the same last question on the Work Life podcast. Mm -hmm. And that is, if Bob, you could give one advice to a CEO to make a change uh, in, in the well-being of his or her employees, what would that advice be? You know, it's such a great question. And I would say it really comes down to making sure that you create an environment where your employees feel a sense of purpose by being mm. with your company. That's a fantastic uh, advice. Thank you so much, uh, Bob. It has been an absolute treat oh, thank you. speaking with you and, and hearing, you know, these principles right from you. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you took the time. Oh, thank you. It's such a such a great honor to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you.